0: man coverage. This is the PFT PM podcast and now your host Mike Florio August 20
1: edition of the PFT PM podcast. We have Rams coach Sean McVay coming up momentarily taped an interview with him earlier this morning early for him 7 a.m. Pacific time. He's got an endorsement deal now. It's usually players who get the endorsement deals. Sean McVay a gig with Bose. An ambassador for the NFL's exclusive headset provider. He'll be talking about that. Plus, plenty of Rams questions. And actually, as I reflect on it, I think most of the questions I asked were not absolutely horrible for a change. I think I drew out some good information from him. I'll let you judge that coming up momentarily. We've got some PFTPM posse questions that are focused on the NFC West, since McVay's the coach of the Rams and the Rams are in the NFC West. See what we did there? Before we get to that though, what about Washington bringing back Adrian Peterson to the NFL? And when Darius Geis got injured, it's now been 11 days ago, tore his ACL against the Patriots in the preseason opener. I thought, well, look, this is the guy that was going to be their go-to running back. This is the guy that they were going to pin their running game on. And maybe they'll go after an Adrian Peterson. At first, they were very coy about it. Jay Gruden, coach of the team, came out and said, we're going to stand Pat. And my reaction was, well, you'll stand Pat until you have more injuries. And then when they had more injuries, Samaje Piran with an ankle, Byron Marshall injured, they waved injured another running back. They were down to three healthy running backs at practice over the weekend. Gruden acknowledged they're going to bring in some guys and work them out. And the question then became, what quality of free agent do you go after? Do you get the bottom of the roster guy who's going to chew up reps during the remaining preseason games, help you get through practice, be one of the many guys who are politely asked to pack up their things and leave? come September 1, cut down day. Mark your calendar too. That's Saturday coming up in just about 12 days. That's the day when all hell breaks loose and all rosters get reduced from 90 to 53 in one fell swoop. There's no intermediate step anymore. It is straight to 53. It's one of our busiest transactional days of the year. We'll be all over it. But chances are Adrian Peterson probably won't be ushered out the door come September 1. Now, The contract he signs will be, I think, very instructive in that regard, especially since veterans, i.e. players with more than four years of service, they call them vested veterans, they have the ability of cut after week one, even if their salary isn't guaranteed to take the balance of it, fully guaranteed. And you will see older players get released right before that salary vests. And then after week one, they can be signed without that full salary potential. And every year I feel like there are guys that get cut and, well, yeah, we're thinking about bringing them in after week one and then they just never do. So I guess there's a chance Adrian Peterson, if his salary is not mostly guaranteed or guaranteed at all, I don't, and I don't know, I'm going to be interested to see what Washington pays Adrian Peterson, but whether and to what extent his salary is guaranteed right now will tell us whether or not he's guaranteed a roster spot. And then the question becomes, how much is he going to be used? Remember, that was the issue last year with the Saints. I still don't know why he signed with the Saints. I think his ego was bruised because he went from being due to make some ridiculous amount with the Vikings, like $18 million, And they cut him, and no one else came after him. And I was surprised the Packers didn't make a run at him. Teams did not come after him. And I think the first team that showed interest was the Saints. And he was just like, okay. Like, he was so desperate at that point. And his confidence was likely shattered because teams were just, nope, not interested, that he went to a team that for him was a bad situation. And we found out how bad of a situation it was week one. Remember all the hype last year? Saints at Vikings. Oh, Peterson gets a chance to prove the Vikings wrong. And then they hardly used him. Then they traded him to the Cardinals once the Cardinals realized that without David Johnson, Chris Johnson wasn't getting it done. So let's bring in Adrian Peterson. And he ended up with 529 rushing yards, 38th in the league last year. He had 134 and 159-yard game for the Cardinals, 3.4 yards per carry, got injured against the Jaguars, or that was the last game he played before he gave into an injury that he already had, because I think this is a guy who plays and plays and plays, no matter whether he's injured or not. But what will his role be? He averaged 3.4 yards per carry last year overall. It wasn't a great year, but still 529. I mean, think about that. Limited opportunities in New Orleans, missed four or five games on the back end of the season, changed teams, and still had over half of a thousand yards. And we'll see what he can do. Quick update on the helmet rule. I'm trying to keep you informed on where this thing is heading, not where it is right now. And look, I'm not going to, well, maybe I will. I'm not going to take credit for being ahead of the curve on this. Yes, I am. Because it annoyed the hell out of me that I was the only one who realized what a mess this could be from the moment that the rule came out. Players are prohibited from lowering the head to initiate and make contact with an opponent. So broad, so encompassing. And we had all this noise from the league office. Guys like Troy Vincent. Well, it's only a handful of plays. Well, it may only be a handful of plays for ejections, but it's not a handful of plays for penalties. And now teams are waking up to it. And every time I see or hear a comment from a head coach expressing confusion about the rule, I say, what the hell were these guys told back in March? And I think what they were told is this is no big deal. This is no different than the foul from 2013 that you can't lower your helmet and ram it into an opponent, line him up and ram it into him outside of the tackle box. And Adrian Peterson was one of the guys who used to do that. There was a game, I think, against the Steelers. I think William Gay took a helmet to the chest. Not as bad as the Earl Campbell thing. And I remember 2012, it was Trent Richardson who put his helmet into the chin of Kirk Coleman. Richardson, his first game with the Browns, Coleman playing for the Eagles, and it was the Rock'em Sock'em Robot thing. And I'm sure some people thought maybe Coleman's head was going to be in the helmet as he went flying off of his shoulders. That's That's fairly graphic that's probably uncalled for. Forget that I said that. Anyway, here's where I think this is going now. Number one, I think there will be an effort by the league to be fully transparent as it relates to what these fouls are, what they aren't, how they're called right, how they're called wrong, how they're not called when they should have been called. Al Riveron, the senior VP of officiating, put a video together last week. It was released on Friday, and I thought it was great. It was great. And when I asked for him on Thursday, it's like, they're not giving him to me. They, they, they're just not going to, I'm not going to get him. It's not happening. I, I sent the email fully expecting a, he's not available, or this isn't a good time, or go screw yourself, or, you know, something less polite than that. And one thing led to another. It's like, holy crap, they're going to give him to me. And I thought he was very open and transparent and candid. There are still some real flaws in this rule, but I emerged from the podcast on Friday understanding it much better than I previously did. And also I highly encourage watching the videos that are embedded in the fact sheet. Just go to profootballtalk.com and put fact sheet. This isn't an ad. I'm just telling you how to do something that will help you go to profootballtalk.com. Okay. That's an ad fact sheet in the search box. And one of the first results will be the helmet rule fact sheet. And in there videos from Anthony Lynn, coach of the Chargers, as it relates to running backs. Doug Marone, coach of the Jaguars, as it relates to offensive line. Mike Vrabel of the Titans, as it relates to linebackers. Dan Quinn of the Falcons, as it relates to defensive line. And Todd Bowles of the Jets, as it relates to defensive backs. And it will give you an idea, a clear idea of what they're looking for. And I think the best one, and maybe it's because it was the first one I watched, was Anthony Lentz. Like, I felt like I was like, oh, okay. Now I get it. still highly unrealistic, but now I get it. Now I get it. And see, for running backs, I think it's more avoidable because the running back's in control of what he's doing. The running back's not trying to go tackle somebody. The running back is the guy who's trying to create separation and make a hole for himself, and he just can't lower his helmet and ram it into anyone, anywhere. Same thing for a blocker. Blocker's got to extend his hands and push and keep his face up. You can't ram your helmet into the guy to get him out of the way. And what you watch for is arms completely out, almost like a big hug, and the guy goes in head first. When the hands are extended and pushing, that's the way you avoid the impermissible technique. But I think it's so much easier for offensive players to avoid it than defensive players, especially when you've got defensive backs who are trying to pursue from the side or from behind or an angle. How do you get the guy down? And I think the only thing you can reliably do then is master the art of getting close and almost like a bowling pin maneuver where you you roll up like a pill bug. That's really what it is. Is that what that thing's called? Is it a pill bug? The little bugs from Bugs Life that are doing the burping contest and then one of them farts. You roll up like that and you go in to the offensive player with the back of your shoulder pads that's the only way to avoid it. So anyway, I think that we will have that transparency. I hope we'll have that transparency every week of the regular season. Come Friday of week two, heading into week two, a video that goes over all of the violations from week one, all of the violations that were missed, and all of the called penalties that actually were erroneous. It's going to take a lot for the league to do that, but I think they should. Also, as much as we're trying to bang the drum to get the rule to change, for the language to be tweaked, for instant replay to be used, I think it's too late for the NFL to admit mistake here. So really, anything they do by way of changing the rule or changing the procedure is going to constitute an acknowledgement that they screwed this up. And I don't think they're ready to do that yet. And I believe that what will happen is Al Riveron or his lieutenants at the league office will be watching the games, waiting for those moments, and as the officials caucus. And we've seen that almost every time this foul's been called in the preseason, they get together and they talk about it. While they're talking about it, that's when they need to be watching it at the league office. And they need to be talking to the referee, saying it is or isn't a foul. That's what they need to do. Now, that's not going to catch the ones that they just miss at the game site. But it will give them an opportunity, case by case, foul by foul, to confirm that it's right. And the only downside there, maybe there will be more flags thrown with the understanding that Al Riveron or one of the other people at the league office who watch these plays will be able to say yes or no before they finalize it. Watch for that, although they won't admit to it. It's a violation of the protocol. I don't care about that. I just care about getting it right. Ever since it first became aware, and I remember it was our friend Jim Diopoulos, former NFL official and supervisor of officials, who first theorized, hypothesized, whatever, that the league office was using that real-time, high-speed connection to tell referees, throw a flag, do this, do that, beyond the scope of what they were allowed to do. I remember thinking, I don't care, as long as they get the calls right. Do whatever you want. It's fine by me. Just get it right. And I don't care if it takes a little bit longer. I don't understand the people who instantly say, well, the game's going to be five hours long. (laughs) Wouldn't you rather it be right? You want to see games decided because you get 15 extra yards? All right. One more thing on the helmet rule. And look, I don't know how realistic this is because I do think guys are going to be inviting injury, but something I talked about today on PFT Live, I wrote about it this afternoon. The idea that coaches will tell guys to take that helmet, take that helmet, like taking a charge in basketball, taking a beaning in baseball, taking a dive in soccer. I mean, you're out there running full speed and you dive to the ground. You may not be hurt. Because you didn't get fouled, but you may be hurt once you hit the ground. The best example: Vikings-Jaguars. C.J. Ham coming straight at A.J. Bouye. Ham lowers his helmet. Bouye gets lower. Bouye, according to the assessment of the officials, hit Ham with his helmet with a lowered head. That's a 15-yard penalty on the Jaguars. If Bouye had just gone straight up and down like he was taking a charge, and Ham had hit him with his head down, that's 15 yards the other way. That's a 30. 30- yard net difference. You take away the 15 on the Jaguars, you put the 15 on the Vikings, 30 yards. That's a difference between three or seven points and a punt. 30 yards. It's nearly a third of the field. You think that Bill Belichick hasn't already figured out? Well, you know what? This is what we're going to do. We're going to teach these guys and we're going to expect these guys in these situations, to take that helmet to the chest or the gut or lower or higher and to resist the temptation to try to get lower. We've heard that about football for years. Low man wins. High man wins now. High man wins 30 yards because high man doesn't risk giving up 15 and high man may get 15 because he's taking that hit. Now, the offenses eventually, I think, would adjust. And what we're going to see is guys crashing into each other, basically like they're they're dancing. And you're going to see the, the arm tackle wrap up high and then, you know, an effort to twist him down. And the bigger the offensive player is, the harder that's going to be to accomplish. Does that mean we're going to be skewing toward larger defensive backs? Will there be a premium on that? Safeties, larger men? I don't know. But I think at least for 2018, I mean, you're trying to win championships, preserve your job, build a legacy. For 2018, the cheat code may be, get your guys conditioned to stand up and take those helmets and take that 15 yards instead of giving that 15 yards. And I don't think that's all that crazy. Helmet rule is one of the things that came up during the discussion with Rams coach Sean McVay. Here it is in full, 15 minutes with the reigning NFL coach of the year and the man who is starting into year two with high expectations Rams coach Sean McVay okay our next guest the reigning NFL coach of the year in only one year on the job he's one for one as coach of the year he's going to go for two for two this season in his second year with the LA Rams he's Sean McVay coach welcome back to the program how are you
0: I'm doing great thanks for having me Mike
1: Where do you keep your trophy that you got for winning coach of the year?
0: (laughs) I keep it up in, uh, you know, basically I got a little uh, kind of a movie theater room or whatever you want to call it. It's really just, it's not as nice as a movie theater room. It's just where I've got a a bigger TV and an open room. So put it up there and, uh, you know, uh, it's uh, very humbling, very flattering, but looking forward to this season and the new challenges that it'll present.
1: But when you notice it, what's the first thought that pops into your mind?
0: Uh, you know, it really doesn't seem it doesn't seem real, Mike. You know, but I think it all goes back to like you and I have talked about before. It's all about the people that you're around. and We got a great coaching staff, a lot of really good players, and uh, anytime that you get awards like that, that's a reflection of team success. And certainly last year, you know, wasn't exactly the way we wanted to finish up. But we got to start over, uh, wipe the slate clean, and, and looking forward to getting this thing going against the Raiders on September 10th.
1: And even though things ultimately didn't work out last year for you you exceeded expectations really more than any other team out there. You could say, how do you this year, when the bar is so much higher, how do you get your team ready to deal with the increased scrutiny, the increased pressure? Because this year, if there isn't a playoff appearance or if you don't get any farther than you did last year, it's going to be perceived not as a success but as a failure.
0: Sure. Yeah, I I think that's a good point, Mike. And, And the biggest thing that we talk about is just following our daily process Uh, trying to continue to establish and maintain you know certain standards of performance with the things that we value and uh, you know you don't shy away from it there's there's a lot of good things that are being written right now but I think the one thing that our players all appreciate and respect Mike and and our coaches alike is that uh, you got to earn it every single day in this league there's too many other good competitive teams players and coaches that if you think last year's success will do anything for you this year uh, you know we're kidding ourselves and uh, while we are confident in the players and the coaches that we do have, I think there's an appreciation that you've got to earn it every single day and we've got to maintain that edge and, and looking forward to trying to peek in at the right times.
1: Do you have people on the staff who are actively looking for anything negative written about the Rams, any sign of disrespect so you can take that into the locker room and say, hey, look, here are people who still don't believe in you so you can get a chip on their shoulder in a year when maybe they, they may not have the same chip that they had a year ago?
0: I think there's always, you know, you kind of look for those motivational things if it presents itself. But the one thing that we try to do a good job of is is just kind of focusing on what we can control. And that's doing a great job within the framework of our building. Certainly, you're uh, not naive to the fact that there's so much coverage in the NFL because of how big it's gotten. But uh, our guys do a good job of just focusing on what we can control, trying to get better every single day. And Uh, If we do that, we feel confident that good things can happen. But I think we've got a lot of guys, you know, the right veterans and then the right guys in the right spots as far as those young leaders that are continuing to grow each and every day that that understand the importance of that one-day-at-a-time mindset mentality.
1: They say the NFL is a deadline-driven business. We've seen that play out time and time again over the years. As it relates to the biggest question that you always get, the status of defensive tackle Aaron Donald's contract negotiations, do you have in mind – what the deadline is to get this thing done?
0: You know, I I don't think so, Mike, but I think for us, ideally, you know, you'd like to be able to see a guy get in here a couple weeks before the season starts, but in terms of a a stern deadline, we don't have that. Um, You know, we've been in this situation before. Everybody knows how important Aaron is to us and uh, how much we want to be able to get this thing done. In the meantime, we're appreciative of the guys that are here that are working, but to say that, you know, there's a stern deadline, uh, I wouldn't say that, but I think there is an ideal time when you'd like to get him in here to get him in football shape and feel confident that he'll be ready to go and be healthy enough to participate just based on the things we've gotten exposed to uh, for that first game. How much
1: do you think that the fact that last year he showed up the day before week one, missed the week one game, played the rest of the way, one defensive player of the year, even without offseason training camp preseason, how much do you think that may have reduced the urgency this time? Because we've seen what he can do with limited preparation.
0: Sure. Uh, I, I think it's, you know, I think they're separate. I think Aaron's is certainly a special player and a rare breed that he's able to do that. Uh, you know, we'd love to have Aaron here. I think there is a certain level of at least understanding, like you've been there before. If there's one thing that this role has done, it, it humbles you and makes you appreciate the value of experience. Uh, unfortunately, you know, we've kind of been in this road before. And uh, the one thing you do feel good about Mike is that while he isn't here, you know that Aaron's one of those guys that. He's working his tail off, doing everything he can in his power outside of this building to prepare himself to be ready to go if we're able to come to, uh, you know, to a finality and get this thing worked out where everybody feels good about it.
1: One of the spoils of success on the field, either as a player or a coach, endorsement opportunities. You're here today with us on behalf of Bose, a new ambassador for the brand. And Bose, back in 2014-2015, debuted the very first active noise-canceling headset for the NFL, with now used by all teams, coaches, and staff for sideline and booth communication. Tell us what you have going on with Bose.
0: Well, you know, I think it's a great fit, you know, in terms of just the importance of what both headsets allow you to do on game day, specifically to the noise cancellation, uh, being able to maintain that level of focus and concentration, specifically in some of those road atmospheres where uh, you're able to make sound decisions, clearly communicate with your coaches, and then from a play caller standpoint, get it in clearly for the quarterback so then he can echo and articulate that to the rest of his teammates. Uh, and the same thing for defensive staff communicating you know, with Wade, communicating to the to the linebacker being able to echo those calls, but but it's that's the instrumental part of what we do, and, and we feel like it was a natural fit for us.
1: Have you gotten to the point where you know every play instinctively when that's going to cut off fifteen seconds before the snap?
0: I think you get you you know you're certainly cognizant, Mike, of watching that play clock, and that's something that we tell our quarterbacks to do, so they know based on if we something gets in later, if we've got a motion to try to avoid those delayed games, but. It's definitely something we talk about trying to utilize it to our advantage, you know, especially if you, you have quarterbacks that want to be able to have you give them information, whether it's, you know, after the play or, you know, in terms of a, a lengthier play call that can get a little bit wordy at times, which, you know, some of our plays can do that. So we're definitely cognizant of it, but we also try to have the ability to communicate visually. But that verbal communication is, is imperative for us and definitely something we're mindful of, Mike.
1: Do you wish that you were allowed to talk to them all the way up to the snap?
0: No, I think it's probably good. Sometimes I I can talk too much, Mike. So I think the the quarterbacks would probably tell you, you know, they wish to cut off a little bit sooner so I could stop chirping in their ear. And every now and then when I'll get a glimpse of what it sounds like from their perspective, if I'm close to one of the other quarterbacks in the headset, I said, man, I sure am annoying, aren't I? (laughs)
1: Uh, one thing the Rams have been doing this offseason that fascinates a lot of fans rounding up veteran players with recognizable names and one of the guys you traded for Brandon Cooks the receiver from the Patriots he got the big contract during the offseason following the offseason program was there one moment for you when you concluded this is a guy that we have to get signed for the long haul and help build our offense around
0: I think with him Mike you know he's been consistent from day one just in terms of uh, being being the same guy every single day, extremely conscientious in the meetings, obviously a playmaker. I think very impressed. You know, you certainly feel his speed. You can watch it on tape and appreciate and, and respect all the production that he's had, but when you're up close in person with him, you know, you certainly feel that speed. But then what you also have an appreciation for is that he's a complete receiver, but he's also an incredible person. You know, did a great job uh, incorporating himself into this offense, endearing himself to his teammates, natural fit, you know, everything you, that you talk to people about you can't find anybody that says a negative word about this guy. And then obviously the production kind of speaks for itself. And he's a guy that we've watched pretty closely just because of the amount of respect we have for New England's offense and New Orleans offense in particular. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to do a good job putting him in some good spots like those teams did and, and see that production show up. And, and we're excited to have Brandon for the long haul.
1: How curious were you, though, once he showed up about the fact that here's a guy who's been traded twice now, by the Saints and then by the Patriots? I mean, and at some point, you're going to start looking at the guy saying, well, is it you? Is it the team? Is it the circumstance? Did you have that hesitation at first that maybe there's something not right here, that both the Saints and the Patriots would move on from him?
0: You know, I, I think you you ask those questions early on, because you, you see the production, you see what a great job he's done. And then, you know, when you talk to those coaches in both places, they can't say enough about him. And when you look at what he's being traded for, too, you know, he's he's being traded for number one overall. He's being traded for first-round picks. So, clearly, there's a value that these other teams have had for him. But when you talk to the guys from the Saints, when you talk to the guys from the Patriots, they speak very highly of him. And I think it's a product of, you know, kind of the the individual organization's approach and what they need. And, um, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into it. But I think uh, everybody would appreciate and value what he's brought to their teams. And and we definitely feel like he's going to be a huge value for us.
1: I'm glad you corrected yourself because you definitely don't want him to be traded for the number one overall pick because that would mean that you did not have a very good year. Although
0: that that pick's
1: already gone and that draft pick's already been made by the Patriots. Okay, let me uh, focus just for a couple minutes while I still have you on this new helmet rule. We're trying to figure out how it's going to affect football. Give me an understanding from a nuts and bolts standpoint what you're communicating to your players by way of complying with this new rule against lowering the helmet to initiate contact.
0: Yeah, it's just very similar to all the things that we've coached for the last handful of years. It's specific to defense and now even offenses. You, don't, you want to try to keep your head out of this game. You know, Anytime that you're tackling, we talk about shoulder leverage tackling. We talk about not lowering the head when you're a ball carrier, those different types of things. The thing that is really going to be interesting that you talk to the officials and you talk to coaches around the league is how do you officiate the bang-bang type plays when a guy is trying to keep his head out of it, and at the last second, that target ends up changing based on just the speed at which this game is played. And then also some of those things as far as, all right, well, if you're really trying to see a bit in live action, sometimes it's not as exactly as you perceive it, and not being able to replay those plays unless it leads to somebody being ejected is really tough because some of these 15-yard penalties might be the difference in winning and losing games, and it's such a competitive league. Those are the things that... Uh, you know, are a concern. But I think in terms of educating the players, it's just making sure there's clarity on what the rule is, how it's going to be officiated, and and trying to do the best we can to try to abide by those rules.
1: So are you signing on to my petition to get the league to expand replay review before week one of the regular season to encompass these plays? You would plays? get
0: my signage on that, Mike, for sure, because I, I just think that, you know, I, and I know the pace of play is extremely important, but these plays could be instrumental in the outcome of the game And to say that, oh, man, it's so hard, you know, because a lot of these plays, even the way you're perceiving it as a coach, then you see the replay say, oh, yeah, that definitely wasn't how I saw it. Uh, And when you're talking about the magnitude of these plays, when they could occur at any point in the game, that that could be really tough if it it ends up, uh, you know, leading to changing the outcome of a game, especially if it's something that we didn't see right in live action.
1: And I remember sitting at our studio desk in Orlando during the league meetings and I saw that this rule had been passed. I read it and I thought, my God, this is broad and this is really going to change things. And then the league was very uh, clear about all the owners were on board, all the coaches were on board with it. I mean, can you think back to March and remember what you were told this rule was going to be? And is there a disconnect between what you were told in March and what it's turning out to be?
0: Well, I think the starting point, Mike, is, is first and foremost, you know, the, the, the rule is strictly to try to, you know, increase the safety for our players, trying to take the head out of the game. And I think everybody would agree that's exactly what we want to do. And those are the techniques, you know, every coach around this league that I know and that I've talked to, you know, they're coaching the same fundamentals, the techniques as far as guys keeping their head out of the play when they're tackling, you know, trying to keep your head up in some of these contact situations with the ball in your hands or whether you're engaging as a blocker. So I think everybody's intent is exactly right, but it's similar to just the interpretation of it and then also the implementation so that we can get it on the right page as far as exactly what we're trying to get done, but not at the effect of you know potentially influencing the outcomes of games, especially if we're not seeing it correctly in how fast some of these plays occur.
1: How tempting is it? to maybe coach your offensive players to make that last second movement so they take a piece of the helmet that's been lowered and get a free 15 yards?
0: Yeah, you know, I I don't think we would ever want to try to, you know, we we haven't talked about that, Mike, but I think it's really tough to coach some of these defensive guys. You know, you're sitting there talking with Wade Phillips the other day, and, you know, our job as coaches is to try to give clarity to these players and, and try to educate them on how it's going to be officiated and Really, as we're navigating through this preseason, you know, you talked to Al River on the other day right after our game, and and we're really just trying to educate ourselves as coaches to do the best job we can, and uh, hopefully we'll continue to get some more clarity just overall with regards to how we want to get the intent of this rule uh, implemented into our game, but not at the expense of potentially influencing, altering, or affecting the outcomes of games when in fact it might not be seen the right way.
1: Well, Coach, you did a great job last year influencing the outcome of games from the perspective of your team. We wish you all the best throughout the 2018 season. Look forward to talking to you again and congratulations on the new partnership with Bose.
0: That sounds great. Thanks, Mike. All
1: right. Thanks again to Coach McVeigh for including us in his Bose tour. It has to be a little awkward to carve out some time. I guess he's doing a commercial with Bose on Monday. Got to be a little awkward to carve out time when there's plenty of things you can be doing and should be doing to get ready for the season. Doug Peterson, he was doing interviews for his book like weeks ago that had to be held until the 21st. And we passed. We passed. They, oh, well, you do, oh, oh, I'm not holding it. I'm going to do an interview in late July because he wants to do it before camp starts. And I'm going to hold it until the day the book comes out. No, sorry. We're happy to have him. Once the book comes out, but we declined this request, there was like a Friday in late July, he was available like for a certain period of time before camp opened. It's like, no. But it just shows you how some of these guys, they don't want the perception that they've got anything that's distracting them during training camp in the preseason. And Sean McVay, he's doing it his own way. And you know what? It's worked. Yes, the Eagles won the championship, but McVay won the coach of the year award and McVay doing things very differently. One of the things I wanted to get to, but we're out of time, the idea of not playing his starters in two preseason games and possibly not playing quarterback Jared Goff or Todd Gurley at all in the preseason. He mentioned to me before we got started, you know, that's the thing he's got to figure out now, what he's going to do with his starters across the board for the third preseason game. Fourth preseason game, we know. They're not playing. Third preseason game, what do you do? All right, here's what we do. We answer some questions here. NFC West-centric Questions from PFT, PM, Posse. Florio Macy, my, my dog who, impressive, has learned how to type, has a Twitter account, has an email address to which the Twitter account is anchored. Who knew? Here's what she asks. We've now seen two years of Jared Goff. One was the absolute worst Goff and one was the absolute best Goff. Which Goff is the real Goff? Well, all due respect to our friend Jeff Fisher, probably the Goff that wasn't coached by his staff. I'm not going to put it on him as much as I'm going to put it on his staff. But look at Nick Foles with his staff. Look at some of these guys who went through the Rams organization when Jeff Fisher was the head coach. His staff. Now, McVay. McVay was the coach in 2017. McVay the coach again. I think the real Goff. Well, the McVay Goff is the best Goff. Now, if and when Goff and McVay aren't working together, maybe it'll be some other Goff. But, you know, he made it through that whole year with the defense is having enough film to figure out what they're doing and they got through that ceiling and it was a great year for Goff, And I think that barring injury, it'll be another great year for Goff and the Rams. Andrew Ye, if you're starting your franchise, which coach quarterback pairing from the NFC West would you take? Obviously not Wilkes Bradford. I, I wouldn't take Lombardi Bradford at this point. I like my quarterbacks with two functioning legs. And when Sam Bradford's most recent head coach says he's got a degenerative condition in his knee, and all evidence seems to support that. I don't want Sam Bradford with Bill Walsh, Vince Lombardi, Bill Belichick, John Wooden. None of them. I'm torn between McVeigh and Goff and Shanahan and Garoppolo. I really am torn. I'm probably going to go McVay and Goff because we've seen Goff get through that that ceiling that game film potentially creates. With Garoppolo, I just don't know. And also, Garoppolo got injured during that four-week audition back in 2016 when Tom Brady was finally serving the deflate gate suspension. So I've got concerns about Garoppolo's durability. But it's close. It's very close. And look, Of all the quarterbacks, I'd go Russell Wilson, but I don't know how much longer Pete Carroll's going to coach. Although I remember when I asked him last year, after Bob Kraft told me at the league meetings, he'd like to see Bill Belichick coach into his eighties and work like Warren Buffett and Rupert Murdoch. i mentioned that to Pete Carroll. He said, well, I stopped there. So who knows? Maybe he'll coach longer than Russell Wilson plays. Wilson told me last year he wants to play until he's 45. 45 is like the new Hey, this is This is this is my way to get you to leave me alone. I'm going to play until I'm 45. Will you leave me alone, please? Legend of one foot. What is more likely? The Seahawks go seven and nine or nine and seven. I'm going to say nine and seven or better. And I assume you mean seven and nine or worse, or nine and seven or better. I'd go nine and seven or better because first of all, they went nine and seven last year. And second of all, I think they are repurposing that team around Russell Wilson. They have An infusion of new talent from a coaching standpoint and a player standpoint. And just because they shed all those veterans, that doesn't mean that the replacements are going to be horrible. Cam Chancellor was a sixth rounder. Richard Sherman was a fifth rounder. Got to put some of these mid-round to low-round draft picks in there and see how they develop. They've been coaching them up. Russell Wilson was praising the new offensive line coach, which... Could be interpreted as a slap at the old offensive line coach, but I'll tell you what, the offensive line play improves. They get some durability at the running back position. Could be an interesting team. And I think nine and seven or better is more likely than seven and nine or worse. And this is one of these don't sleep on, you know, and I know it's not real sexy because they have a history of getting into the playoffs and they actually made it to the final eight, five straight years, twenty twelve through twenty sixteen. But I think they're going to be better than people give them credit for. Brady asks, who would you want on your team in 2018, Doug Baldwin or Larry Fitzgerald? In my opinion, the two best receivers in the NFC West. I'd want Larry Fitzgerald, in part because Baldwin, at last word, had some sort of a knee injury. I think Fitzgerald, because of who he is, what he stands for, what he's done in the league, that burning desire to get a championship before he's done, I don't know that he's going to get one with the Cardinals, but he's made it clear he's not playing for anyone other than the Cardinals. There was a time where I thought he'd finish his career in Minnesota because his dad would mention that from time to time. He got to start as a ball boy with the 98 Vikings, and it would be fitting if he goes there. But Fitzgerald planning to stay with the Cardinals and also mapping out a potential career with the Cardinals after he's done playing. I mean, he's the kind of guy who could... Go from player to executive and run that team. Like an Ozzie Newsome or a John Elway. Ozzie Newsome's been better so far overall as an executive than Elway. But you know, for former players, it's not an easy thing to do. I could see Fitzgerald doing it. I Fitzgerald falls into that Peyton Manning category for me, where whatever he chooses to do, he's going to be highly successful when he can choose anything he wants. And whatever it is, he will be great at it. Just like Peyton Manning, who two years later hasn't really chosen to do anything yet. Reverend Mark Worth, which team is overhyped in the NFC West? Probably the Rams. I'd say the Rams. The 49ers have plenty of hype too. But I think when the Rams go out and they acquire all of these veteran players, I think they raise the bar even higher than the bar already was. Now, the 49ers have yet to make it to the playoffs, and people are already penciling them in. But I'd say the Rams a little bit more hype than the 49ers, and I think the Rams want that. The Rams need that. The Rams are winning the L.A. market. The Chargers are just kind of standing around. Now, the Chargers do have some hype this year, but I think the Rams are doing more to get more attention, to get more out of what it is they're trying to do, which is win that market, establish a national presence, and ideally consistently get to the playoffs, lay the foundation for a contending team that plays in that gleaming new stadium that opens at some point two, three years from now. I'm not sure. I never know for sure when these stadiums are going to open. I think the bigger they are and the swankier they are, the greater the chance that there's going to be some sort of a unexpected delay. I think it's 2020. It was going to be 2019. I think it's 2020 some rain or something like that delayed it by a year. So by 2020, which isn't all that long away, and the Rams finally debut their new uniforms because they're holding them until they go into the new stadium, you know, they, they keep moving in the right direction. And maybe they become a team that is consistently atop the NFC. Here's one from Man of Water 3615 by way of the PFTPM Posse Twitter account. We keep hearing how Aaron Donald and the Rams are close, but then nothing but crickets. What is the holdup? Did things break down at the 12th hour? When do you see it ending? That's one of the questions I asked Sean McVay. It's a deadline-driven business. What's the deadline here? And he said a couple of weeks before the start of the season. So, clock is ticking. Now, the problem is last year he showed up one day before the start of the regular season and it all worked out pretty well. He was the defensive player of the year. So I think that takes away some of the urgency. I asked him that too and, you know, he gave a careful answer. But I think the reality is both sides understand, hey, this is a special talent. We'd like to have him here for a little bit of the preseason, for a little bit of training camp, but it's really not all that critical because the guy's pretty good. And you know what? Last year they got, or last week rather, they got really close. And I thought it was going to be done. And I think what may happen in a situation like this, one side or the other, erects a barrier. Says, I want this, I want that. I want one more thing. And then that's what ends up slowing it down. But you know, it won't surprise me if it happens this week. They are so much farther ahead of the Raiders and Khalil Mack. I can't remember where I... I saw somebody essentially lump in Khalil Mack and the Raiders in the same posture as the Rams and Aaron Donald. It's light years difference. Mack and the Raiders aren't talking at all. The Rams and Donald are landing the plane. For Mack and the Raiders, the plane isn't even off the ground yet. Last one, Florio Macy. She gets two today. She gets that in lieu of a a treat. You know, some of those treats actually look pretty good. I have yet To be sufficiently inebriated to try one. You know, we we got this bag of biscuits and, you know, that just the texture. I mean, I would be like good with a beer. One of these nights we'll find out. Hey, pops, what NFC West team reminds you of me the most? Which one would you compare to my brother, Aflo? I, I think that with Macy, because we've only had her for 10 weeks. I think she's the Rams because it was a fairly big ticket item. As dogs go. And there's a lot of hype and expectation that this dog's gonna be, you know, a good dog. So so far she's lived up to the hype. So far she's off to a good start. You know, if this is week five of the season, she's four and one. But she's gotta continue to to hold her own in that regard. And I guess I would compare Junior to the 49ers just because Junior's the coach, even though he's not Mike Shanahan Jr. You got the son who's making his way in the family business and doing pretty well so far. I got the kid who, based upon his podcast performances, seems to have some of the chops necessary to do this. So I guess that's it. That's the best I can do with that. And that's the best I can do for today's PFTPM podcast. I appreciate the questions. We appreciate the time from Coach Sean McVeigh, and we will go back to the laboratory and come up with something good for you Later in the week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I think I will do one each of the next three days. Friday is a travel day. It's going to be hard to do it. So maybe the tentative plan, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Hit us up at Twitter with any suggestions you have for guests, and we will take it from there. Check us out around the clock at profootballtalk.com. We've got Packers receiver Randall Cobb live tomorrow on PFT Live. Chris Sims will be in the building, and I have a feeling that Chris Sims... We'll try to get Randall Cobb to sing the Aaron Rodgers song. I just have a feeling. And I wonder if Randall Cobb is aware of the Aaron Rodgers song. If not, I guarantee you, tomorrow morning at about 7.35 a.m. Eastern, he will be. Thanks for your time and your support of the PFTPM podcast. We'll talk to you again on Tuesday.